Let's get into the word today, huh? We have talked about this before, but one of the things that, that we have committed to do as a church is to line up the preaching on Sundays a lot more often with what we're reading during the week in our Rooted Bible reading. And we're not going to do that every Sunday, but we're going to do our best to, to make it more of a priority. And in fact, starting from today and spanning through at least the rest of the summer, that's exactly what we're going to do, is we're going to focus the Sunday preaching on what we've been reading in our, in our Rooted calendar so that there is this continuity. We read it together during the week. If you're in a Rooted group, you discuss it in your Rooted group and then we're going to preach it on Sunday and of course whatever we preach on Sunday we then discuss in our belong groups during the week and and it's just going to create a greater unity and a greater synergy in what God is speaking to us through his word and so this week in our rooted calendar we've been reading the book of Nehemiah in fact today was Nehemiah chapter 6 and so that's what we're going to preach from now just based on the time I have today and, and understanding this story and what I have to share, I can pretty much guarantee this is going to be a two-parter, okay? We're, we're not going to get through all of this today. But as we look at the book of Nehemiah, what we want to do is we want to study what it takes to accomplish great things for the kingdom of God, hence why we're going to call this sermon Great Things great things. We want to study what does it take to accomplish great things for the kingdom of God. So we're going to jump right to Nehemiah chapter 6 and verse 15 to talk about what is the great thing that Nehemiah accomplished. So here we go. So the wall was completed on the 25th of the month of Elul in 52 days. When all our enemies heard of it and all the nations surrounding us saw it, they lost their confidence, for they recognized that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. The wall was completed in 52 days. Why is this so significant? Think about this. Obviously, we're referring to the wall around the city of Jerusalem. This wall had been destroyed in 586 B.C., Right, right around 589 B.C., King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon had laid siege to Jerusalem. And the wall stood for about two years, which is fairly impressive, right? That it took two years, and they basically were starving the people out as they were trapped inside of Jerusalem for two years as the siege was, was laid upon them. And finally, in 586, Nebuchadnezzar was able to breach the gates and to break down the wall and invade the city. And we know that he burned the entire city to the ground. He destroyed everything. He took the people captive away back to Babylon. And so the walls of Jerusalem were left in ruins. Nehemiah, this story that we are reading, takes place in 444 B.C. So if you do some quick math, you'll realize these walls had laid in rubble for over 140 years. For over 140 years, nobody had touched them. Nobody had done anything with them. But then one man gets a vision, and the entire wall is rebuilt in 52 days. Bricks that hadn't moved in 140 years. And in just 52 days, the entire wall was restored. That's what I mean when I'm talking about great things and accomplishing great things for God. 
He rallied together in Nehemiah chapter 3. It's, it lists off 42 different teams of people that were all working together simultaneously on the wall around the city. Right, So we're talking about a guy who got a vision, who rallied together an entire city, an entire nation, was overseeing 42 teams of people that were working simultaneously and accomplished a great feat in just 52 days. I want to talk about accomplishing great things for the Lord. But what I love is in verse 16. It says, when all our enemies heard of it and the nations surrounding us saw it, they lost their confidence. Why? They recognized that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. And as I was studying this, this word accomplished jumped out at me and I, I looked it up. The Hebrew word is a saw, a saw, and it means to produce by labor. Right? It means you actually worked for something. It wasn't gifted to you. It didn't just happen. You had to work for it. But what I find significant is that this same word is the word that is used in the book of Genesis when it refers to creation. When it says God made the heavens and the earth. When it says that God made the sun and the moon. When it says that God created them, male and female. Every time it says that, it's the same word, a saw. Which means that this word refers to producing something. There is a creative power. There is something that comes out of it. But it required labor, right? We know that God, when he created everything, he did it in six days. But it was work. Because it says on the seventh day, God rested from his work. So there is labor. There is work that has to be done. But there is also this supernatural creative power that is at work. And so when it says it is accomplished with the help of our God, it gives us this picture that there is work and there is something supernatural happening. And so you can see in your notes, you can find the notes in your church bulletin. If you're watching this video, you can find the notes attached to the video on our website. If you're listening to the audio, you can find the notes attached to the audio. You can see in your notes, I wrote this. What does great things mean? It means when we put our efforts into what God has put on our hearts, he produces things through our lives that only he can do. Right? So we have to put our effort into it. But it's God who put the thing on our heart in the first place. And so if it's on our hearts, and if we would take a passion that has been placed upon our heart, and we will put work behind that passion, then God will show up and begin to produce the supernatural through our lives. Right? That's the picture I want you to have as we talk about great things. And so when we read the story of Nehemiah this week, you can see in your notes there were four things that God spoke to me, and we're not going to get through all four of them today. We're going to dive into some of them next week. But I want to give you today, what is it going to take for us as a church to accomplish great things? What is it going to take for individuals, for individual families, for individual households to accomplish great things, right? What does great things look like? I don't know. It depends on what God puts on your heart. What if God puts it on your heart to build an orphanage in Africa? And you say, I don't even know how to build an orphanage in Africa. That's okay. You don't know, have, to, have to know how. But if God put the passion on your heart, could we accomplish great things? 
right? For our students that are here today, what if God put on your heart to lead a revival on your school campus and to see your peers coming to the Lord like never before? And you say, I don't even know how to do that. That's okay. But if God puts it on your heart and you put some work behind it, you'll see something supernatural happen. Right? What, what is the thing that God is going to put on your heart? What is the great thing that you could accomplish? Right? What, what, what kind of things could we accomplish around addiction recovery? What kind of things could we accomplish around restoring marriages? What kind of things could we accomplish around preventing suicide? What kind of things could we accomplish? The list could go on and on. There are so many great things. Right? And there's something about even having a great thing put upon your heart that is both terrifying and exhilarating at the same time. For many years, my great thing was suicide prevention. Why? Because God put it on my heart. At no time growing up did I dream about doing suicide prevention. At no time was I preparing myself to do suicide prevention. But suddenly, in a moment, in a season, in a city that I was ministering in, teenagers were dying and attempting suicide at unprecedented levels. And God put something on my heart. And I thought, could I accomplish this great thing? Could I, could I give myself to saving the lives of young people? And that is what I did. I'm in a new season now. God has put a new thing on my heart. What if I could be a part of a movement of making disciples who make disciples that we could see the gospel and the kingdom of God spread from Kauai around the world? Who, I tell you what, that is something upon my heart that both exhilarates me and terrifies me because it's so far beyond anything that I am capable of. What's God putting on your hearts? What is the great thing? So let's take a look at this. Accomplishing great things. What is it going to take? Number one, great things are born from passion and brokenness. Great things are born from passion and brokenness. Let's get into the story of Nehemiah. Let's start right from the top. Chapter 1 and verse 1. It says, The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, while I was in Susa, the capital. That is the capital of Persia, right? He was still serving as a captive of Persia. That Han and I, one of my brothers, and some men from Judah came, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and survived the captivity and about Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach. And the wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days and I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven right so we understand here that after 70 years of captivity in what was the empire of Babylon which eventually gave way to the empire of Persia right so now they're under the Persian empire that after 70 years of captivity they were released to go back and to begin to rebuild Jerusalem and they were released in three waves. The first wave went with Zerubbabel, and they rebuilt the temple of God. The second wave went with Ezra, and they reestablished the law of God in the city of Jerusalem. 
What we're going to find out now is that a third wave goes with Nehemiah. So the people have been going in waves, which means that even though the, the Israelites have been given permission to return to their homeland, many of them were choosing to stay in Persia. Many of them were choosing to stay instead of going back. Nehemiah was one of the ones that had stayed. And what we see here is a story where his friend Hananiah returns from Jerusalem and Nehemiah says, give me word from the home country. Tell me how the people are doing. Tell me what is happening back home. And they said, it's awful. The gates are still burned down. The walls are still in ruins. We're still in great distress because we have nothing to protect us from the enemies that are all around us. And the enemies that were all around them hated Israel. They hated the Jews. And let's be honest, not a lot has changed today. And Israel faces the same pressures today that they were facing back then. So they were in great distress, surrounded by enemies on all sides, and no walls to protect the city of Jerusalem. And upon this news, what happens to Hananiah? His heart breaks. It says he sat and he wept and he mourned for days. Sometimes the great thing that God has prepared for you, and listen, we know from Ephesians 2.10 that God has prepared beforehand the great things he intended for your life to accomplish. And so there are great things inside of you waiting to be birthed. And a lot of times the thing that births them, births them, burfuses, the thing that births them is brokenness. When something causes you to weep, when something causes you to be desperate, then a great thing is born. And so let me ask you, when was the last time something broke your heart? Now, when I ask that question, of course, the first thing we could usually think of is we could say, well, when my mom was sick, when my marriage was struggling, when my kid was going through a crisis. And we could say, yeah, that's great, but all of those things affect you. So then I want to rephrase the question, when was the last time that someone else's crisis broke your heart? When it's not about you but it's about somebody else that's hurting. It's about an injustice. It's about a need somewhere, either here locally or around the world. When was the last time somebody else's crisis broke your heart? When was the last time someone else's crisis drove you to your knees? And listen, a lot of times, the thing that breaks your heart is the thing that God has brought you through, right? Why do I have such a heart for broken people, for people that are caught in addiction and depression and, and suicide? Because that's what God brought me through. And a lot of times, the very thing that God brings you through, he breaks your heart for others. Right? What is breaking your heart? And listen, if nothing is breaking your heart, that just means we've become too self-consumed. We become too wrapped up in our life and what we got to do every day. And so this word today is a challenge for you to break out of that and to get back to a place where something outside of your life will actually stir your hearts and break your heart and then drive you to a place of prayer and fasting. Nehemiah says, I fasted and I prayed. And we spent the whole month of March teaching about prayer. 
And so I'm not going to get back into that too much. But one of the things we talked about in March was that we don't pray more because we don't live in such a way that we are desperate for God. Right? We live in such a way that we can handle it. It's our routine. It's, it's we know how to get through the day. We know what to do. We get the kids to school. We get to work. We get work done. We come home. We get dinner on the table, and, and we do it again, and we just we get caught up in the normalcy. And so because we don't live in a way that we're desperate for God to move on our behalf, then we don't find ourselves fasting and praying very much. But when we have a passion when there's a great thing being birthed inside of the brokenness within us, then suddenly that desperation rises up and says, I better fast and pray because I'm about to move into a, a, a difficult, a dangerous season. I'm about to move into a place where I, I'm not going to be able to do it and I'm not going to be able to come through. I love this. Jim Whitaker, who is the first American to scale the summit of Mount Everest, he lived his life by this philosophy. If you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. Come on, if you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. Right? I, I'll just rephrase it here. If you're not desperate to fast and pray, you're taking up too much space. you got to move your life a little closer to the edge. There's a great thing that wants to be birthed inside of you, but those great things are generally birthed when we're right on the edge. And we're desperate, and the only thing we can do is fast and pray. And that's what Nehemiah did. He began to fast, and he began to pray. Let's talk about number two. Great things are launched from a foundation of knowing God and his word. Right? So if they're birthed within the brokenness of us, they are launched from a foundation of knowing God. So if we want to be a people who accomplish great things, we have got to have that foundation laid in our lives. Let's talk about what we know about Nehemiah. First off, we know that Nehemiah was a man of the word. How do we know this? Well, in chapter 1, he has this long prayer, and we're not going to read it, but I encourage you, if you didn't read it when it was scheduled a few days ago, go back and read it. He has this long prayer, and if you remember, we read Deuteronomy not too long ago. He is quoting Deuteronomy in his prayer. And I don't know if he's doing it on purpose or if he's just doing it because he's a man of the Word, and when you soak in the Word of God, the Word of God starts coming out in your prayers. And when Nehemiah was praying, Deuteronomy was coming out of his mouth. He was a man of the word. We also see in chapter 6, when the false prophet was trying to trick him into breaking the law, he saw right through it. The false prophet was saying, they're going to assassinate you. Go hide in the temple. Well, the old covenant law of God said you could only go into the temple if you were a priest. And Nehemiah wasn't a priest. And so Nehemiah saw through it right away and said, absolutely not. I will not sin against the law of God. So we know that Nehemiah was a man of the word. And this is amazing, right? Because he was born and raised in Persia. He was born and raised in a time when the word of God was not readily available, and yet here he was, a man of the word. We know that Nehemiah loved the people of God, right? Tell me how my brothers are doing. Tell me how things are in Judah. What is the word from Jerusalem? Why? Because he loved the people of God. He understood the significance of Jerusalem and the temple. He understood the devastation that would come if Jerusalem fell again. How did he understand that? Because he was a man of the word. 
We also know that Nehemiah turned to God in the moment of his mourning and his weeping. He turned to God. Why? Because he already had relationship with him. So listen, God wanted to do a great thing through Nehemiah's life. So what did he do? He put a brokenness upon Nehemiah. But the only way that Nehemiah could accomplish what God had put upon him was because he already had the foundation laid in his life, a foundation of relationship with God, a foundation of the word of God. And so listen, it's one thing to get exhilarated and say, I'm going to go do something great. I'm going to start a a program for single moms, and I'm going to help single moms raise their kids. Hallelujah, that's awesome. I want you to do that. But if it's not built on the foundation of a relationship with God and his word, it's not going to last. Right? It's not going to last. So what do we need to do to begin to do great things? Well, not just the exciting stuff. We got to do the hidden stuff, the secret place stuff. The soaking in the word of God, the soaking in the presence of God, spending time with him, talking to him, listening to him and learning to hear his voice and having a foundation laid in our lives so that God could build something great out of it. Daniel 1132 says this, by smooth words, he will turn to godlessness those who act wickedly toward the covenant. This is a end times prophecy of the Antichrist, that when the Antichrist comes in the end times, he is going to turn people away through smooth words and trickery. But I love this. But Daniel says, but the people who know their God will display strength and take action. Listen, God needs some people who are going to display strength and take action. What does it require to do that? It requires a people who know their God. We won't be easily fooled by smooth words and trickery. There is a foundation in our life that will stand firm. And though attacks will come and storms will come and difficulty will come, the foundation is there so the things that we are building, the great things we desire to do, will last. They will last. Well, let's talk about one more and then we'll we'll, we'll save the rest. Number three. Great things come from those who are unashamed to ask for what they need. Great things come from those who are unashamed to ask for what they need. Listen, it's one thing to have a brokenness inside of you. It's one thing to have a passion put upon you. It's another thing to begin to actually vocalize it. Because when you begin to speak about it, when you begin to invite others into the process, when you begin to speak the vision, now it becomes real. Now you're accountable to it. Now if you fail, people are going to know you failed. If you kept it to yourself, no one's going to know that you didn't do anything that God told you to do. But the moment you begin to speak it, there is a new level of accountability. There is a new level of expectation. And so great things aren't going to come just because you're thinking about it. Great things are going to come when you begin to speak it, when you're unashamed to begin to ask for what you need to accomplish it. Because if it's a big thing, if it's a God thing, you don't have what you need to accomplish it. Because God's not going to give you anything to accomplish that you can do yourself. James 4.2, the apostle James told us, you do not have because you do not ask. If God put the passion on your heart, he will give you everything you need to accomplish it, but you have to ask for it. So what do we see from the story of Nehemiah? 
First, we see that he asked God for success. Chapter 1 and verse 11, at the end of his prayer, he said, O Lord, I beseech you, may your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants who delight to revere your name and make your servant successful today. That was his prayer. Lord, make me successful and then grant me compassion when I go to the king. Grant me compassion when I go to the king. He says, now I was a cupbearer to the king. Now, when we hear cupbearer, we think, oh, he was a lowly servant, right? No, a cupbearer was one of the highest, most important positions in the courtroom of the king. Why? Because kings lived in constant paranoia of being assassinated. And one of the easiest, most subtle ways to assassinate a king was to poison him. Therefore, kings were paranoid of everything they ate and drank. And so to establish somebody as their cupbearer meant they absolutely trusted that person with their lives. That I I know that anything this man puts on my table is safe. This man will not turn on me. The cupbearer was a position of high honor. And of course, if the king lost trust in the cupbearer, he would simply say, you take a drink first. Just to make sure. So being a cupbearer was a position of high honor. So how did a Jew, how did an Israelite get such a position of high honor in the kingdom of the Persians in the courtroom of a Persian king? Well, if you've read the book of Esther, which I know this is confusing because in your Bible, the book of Esther comes after Nehemiah, but in the timeline, Esther already happened. Hebrews didn't care about chronology. They never put things in order. Esther, the Jewish young lady, had married King Xerxes. We're going to read this story here next month, I believe. Esther married King Xerxes. And because of the amazing way that God orchestrated the situation, her uncle Mordecai was brought into a position of high honor in the court of the king. Now, Nehemiah is serving Artaxerxes. Who is Artaxerxes' dad? King Xerxes. So then who is his mom? Queen Esther. And so Esther, as the queen, began to bring Israelites into the courtroom of this Persian kingdom. And so here, Nehemiah has such a position of high honor, such a position of influence with the king. Why? Because God was orchestrating things in advance. And think about this. In chapter 2 and verse 6, when Nehemiah is talking to the king, it says, Then the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him. Now, when we read that, we can assume that that means that that was his wife sitting next to him. But as I studied this from Jewish scholars, Jewish scholars believe that the queen that was sitting next to him was not his wife, but the queen mother, Esther herself, that was sitting there. And so as Nehemiah was coming before the king to ask for his permission, to to go and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, this passion that God had put on his heart, the provision for that passion, God had orchestrated years before Nehemiah was even in this position. Are you guys tracking with me on this? Come on, if God put the passion on your heart, he is already orchestrating the circumstances for you to fulfill the great thing he has put upon your heart. You just have to have the courage to ask. As Nehemiah is walking into the courtroom of the king, asking permission 
Sitting next to the king is a Jewish woman that God had already put in place so that the city of Jerusalem was already favored in the courtroom and so that Nehemiah already found favor. Come on, God is already orchestrating your favor to accomplish the great thing he has put upon your hearts. So Nehemiah asked the king for permission and resources. And then finally, Nehemiah asked the people of God to join him. The king gave him permission to go. The king gave him permission to use all the resources and lumber of the king's forests and and anything that he needed. So he goes to Jerusalem. He brings a, a group of people with him. They surveyed the walls. And after they surveyed the walls, he gathered the people together. And in verse 17, he says, Then I said to them, You see the bad situation we are in, that Jerusalem is desolate and its gates burned by fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we will no longer be a reproach. I told them how the hand of my God had been favorable to me and also about the king's words which he had spoken to me. And then they said, let us arise and build. So they put their hands to the good work. Come on, Nehemiah. He had a brokenness that was put upon him. A great thing was birthed out of that brokenness. He had the foundation laid in his life of knowing God and his word so that he could build a great thing for the kingdom of God. And then he began to ask, let me have the worship team come back up today. So first he went to God. And when you read this story, you read the names of these Jewish months. And, of course, when you read them, we have no idea what they mean because we don't understand the Hebrew calendar. And the Hebrew calendar even changed before captivity and after captivity. So it makes it even harder to study. But I went and studied it. And what I found is that at the beginning of chapter 1, when it talks about the month Chislev, and then at the beginning of chapter 2, it names a different month when he actually goes before the king of Persia, that those months are four months apart. So what does that mean? That means that Nehemiah fasted and prayed for four months on this burden that he had put upon his heart. And then when he had prayed and fasted enough, when he felt like it was time to move, then he goes to the king. And he asks the king for permission and for resources. Come on, I want to encourage you. Begin to talk to some people who can release you in your life. If you've, got a, if you've got a brokenness inside of you, if you've got a great thing that's being birthed inside of you, come talk to me about it. I would love for you to come talk to me. Now, let me be honest with you. As a pastor, most people come share things with me because they want me to do it for them. Right? Hey, pastor, I've got a really great idea. I think the church should do this. Okay. Well, you should do it, Pastor. Oh, okay. No, when you come to me with a brokenness, when you come to me with a great thing on your heart, I'm not going to do it for you. But I will put every bit of support behind you that I can. Come on, we will pray for you. If there are resources that we can sow into it, whatever the case may be, begin to talk to people. Begin to seek out the people that might have the resources that you need to accomplish it. But you've got to be unashamed to ask. We can be so shy to ask for things, whether we're asking for money or we're asking for people's time or we're asking for connections or we're asking for a a meeting, whatever it is. We can be so shy about asking things. But if there is a burden burning inside of you and there is a brokenness and you've been fasting and praying for this brokenness that's inside of you, you will become unashamed to begin to ask for what you need and then you'll begin to ask people to join you 
Begin to ask the people of God to come alongside you and join you in this journey and go after this thing together because it's too big for you to do yourself. It's too big for you to do yourself. Come on, let's pray today that great things will begin to be birthed. I want to pray today for anybody. You've just been living too long without any brokenness inside of you. You've just been okay for too long just going through the motions, just living your life from one routine to the next, but nothing stirs your heart. Nothing makes you pound the table. Nothing gets you stirred up. Unless it's a governor who says you have to keep wearing masks. Right? Remember, it's not it's stirring you up because it makes life inconvenient for you. We're looking for things that stir us up because it's somebody else's crisis. So I want to pray today for people who need to break out of that self-absorption and have their hearts be open again to be stirred for somebody else's crisis. Come on, I want to pray for some people who have been living safe for too long. And today you're ready to move a little closer to the edge and live a little more dangerously for the kingdom of God. Come on, I want to pray for some people who maybe have some zeal and some passion in your heart, but you don't have the foundation to make it last. And the Lord is calling you to the secret place to begin to spend time with him to lay the foundation that's required. I mean, I want to pray for some people who have been silent for too long about the big dreams that God has been putting inside of you because of fear or insecurity or shyness. I want to pray that the Lord begins to open your mouth and you begin to speak of the things that are upon your heart and you begin to unashamedly ask for the things you need to fulfill the vision he has given you. Come on, can I pray for you today? Jesus, Jesus. Oh, Lord God, we pray. God, I pray for those that have been too long without a stirring in their hearts. Too long, oh Lord, without a softness, without a brokenness. Too long without a tear shed. Too long without a longing for a lost population. Too long without a longing to right an injustice. Too long without a longing to meet a need. Oh, Lord God, would you begin to break through the, the, the callousness of our heart? Would you begin to break through the hardness of our heart? Would you begin to break through the layers of distraction and absorption in our heart? Would you begin to pierce through? And Lord, would you break our hearts today? Would you break our hearts today, God? Would you cause us to weep for a people in need? Would you cause us to weep for a crisis that doesn't affect us? But, Lord, our hearts are broken because somebody else is affected. Would you break our hearts today, O oh Lord? Oh, Father, would you cause a passion to begin to burn? Oh, Lord, where we have been in the mundane, we have been in the routine, we have been in the safe, we have been in the comfortable. Oh, Lord God, would you call us out of the boat? Would you call us to take a step out of the safe and secure into the uncertain and the unstable? Because it's in the uncertainty that our faith will rise up and we will cry out for greater things. It's in the dangerous place that we will learn a new desperation for you and that, Lord, we will see you begin to produce the supernatural through our lives. Lord God, would you call us out of the boat? Lord, would you call us to the edge? Would you call us to live on the edge? Oh, call us there, Jesus. Call us there, Jesus. 
Come on, let a new fire burn. Let a new desperation burn. Oh, God, call us to the secret place. Call us to the secret place, oh, Lord. Jesus, speak to us. Let us hear your voice. Let us know you in a new way, in a deeper level, oh, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And I pray today, Lord, that you would open our mouths that we would begin to speak the great things that are burning in our hearts, that we would begin to speak the vision, and that, Lord, we would begin to ask for those things that we need, O oh Lord. We would begin to ask, O oh Lord. We'd begin to ask you, and we would cry out to you. We would begin to invite people to join us in the journey. We would be unashamed to ask for those things that we need, O oh Lord. Oh, God, open our mouths. Let us remain silent no longer. God, even as we learn today prophetically the fountain of power that flows through the declaration of our tongues, oh, Father, let that fountain begin to flow as we take these dreams that have been hidden in dark places and we bring them out to the light and even the power of speaking to them, even the faith to trust one person enough to speak this thing out loud is going to imbue power into this dream and it's going to launch a great thing forward Come on, Lord, open our mouths. Open our mouths, oh Lord, that we will speak power into this. Oh, that we would be the wall builders, oh Lord. Oh, that we would build great things for your kingdom, Jesus. We thank you for that. We give you all the glory today in your mighty name. Amen.